this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. Uh, this is going to be a great conversation with Doug from LivePeer, one of the co-founders. LivePeer is a project that I think literally 75%, if not more people who come on the show have brought up as one of the use cases and one of the projects out there that is actually live and is making use of decentralized distributed systems. And so we had a great conversation about what live peer is, about effectively live peer is live video infrastructure. Again, it is decentralized and it is incentivized. So users who run the live peer software can earn money and contribute their computer's processing power. So we had a lot of discussions about processing power and about compute and about how people can start making money from that and be incentivized by that. People who have you know GPUs that are mining crypto can actually use those GPUs to also be a part of this live peer network. And so we talked a lot about the kind of the infrastructure. We talked about their consensus models. Uh, using a form of proof of stake, uh, kind of a delegated and a bonded proof of stake. And then, you know, effectively, we just talked about how this could be used. And again, in this day and age of video, you know, we talked a little bit about censorship and about, you know, some of the things that have happened on YouTube that have been uh, kind of discussed, uh, whether it be at the federal or government level uh, or just in terms of social level and Again, live peer is more of an infrastructure piece. It, it enables these things to happen. But we had a nice conversation about that. That was really interesting and thought uh, thought provoking. So Doug is a multi-time founder. He was the founder of Wildcard and Hyperpublic, and so really, really talented. This was a great conversation, and I think you're going to learn a lot. And again, as I said, so many people have told me and talk about live peer. So this is something you really want to learn about. So again, remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Doug from LivePeer. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I am really excited about this. I have Doug from LivePeer with us. Doug, how are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on the uh, podcast today, David. Great to be here. So I find it really interesting that I've been at this now. I've recorded over 50 podcasts in the last seven months. And unequivocally, your company comes up probably about 75% of the time. And so everyone keeps talking about live peer. And when everyone's talking about a certain project, well, it's great to finally have you on here to figure out why the hell everyone's talking about it. <laughs> so <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm excited to hear why they're talking about it as well. But yeah, uh, yeah we can dig in and hope to, hopefully uh, peel back the curtain on what's interesting about that here. I think that's great. So some general background about you. We don't go through the kind of when Bitcoin per se, um, you know, kind of the origin story is overhyped and everyone has done it before. But I do like to know effectively what about kind of blockchains and obviously the Bitcoin blockchain and, and Ethereum and other ones out there kind of resonated with you. So just a little bit about Doug before he goes into his own kind of bio. He is a multi-time founder of Wildcard and Hyperpublic. Uh, Hyperpublic was acquired by Groupon uh, around February of 2012. And so multi-time founder here. And so 
would love to hear, obviously, as I just kind of stole your thunder, you are a multi-time founder, but what specifically about the space in the kind of the world that you've lived in said to you, this is where I want to go next, and this is my next venture? Sure, thanks. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a software engineer and a builder of things. And so the common thread throughout the previous two startups, even before LivePeer, was that um, me and my co-founders were kind of always building on kind of fringe emerging technology. And you know, our first startup at Hyperpublic was successful. It's kind of a local data platform. And then our second startup, Wildcard, was trying to create kind of a new publishing and data paradigm on the mobile internet, making mobile websites easier to use and uh, mobile content easier to interact with. And we faced this uh, challenge where we were launching this business on um, closed proprietary platforms. So we depended on Apple and their app store for distribution of our application. And we depended on platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Google and Pinterest to open up their um, APIs for kind of data structuring and publication. And of course, uh, they never opened up or published uh, or adhered to any sort of standards. They each ended up building their own proprietary publishing formats. And uh, we kind of felt the pain there. That business didn't work out. And we said, never again, do, as developers, do we want to be subject to building on these closed platforms where changes in the rules affect your business and your distribution and your ability to succeed. And so, you know, we'd always been interested in in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but Eric and I, my co-founder, had paid close attention to kind of the the launch of Ethereum um, back in late 2015, early 2016. And we what really drew us to the space was that, you know, more so than Bitcoin just being an open finance platform, Ethereum was really an open developer platform that let you embed economics and incentives into open source software and, and networks for the first time. And that was just so cool. Um, so like many, um, one thing led to another, a lot of time spent in the space, a lot of open source software that we built in the space um, led us to know that this was the area that we wanted to spend the next phase of our, our lives uh, and careers working on. And that, that kind of led us to this decentralized tech space initially. Right. So I love that, by the way, I love that distinction. Um, you know, I, I think there's been an interesting narrative out there that there are people who are just saying it's Bitcoin and that's the end of the day. And then there are others out there who say, well, wait a second, <laughs> there's there's so much more you can do with this. And so I, I am in that camp. Obviously, I do believe in Bitcoin and as everyone has listened, you know, I've had other people on here who are very pro-Bitcoin, but I do agree that there is this world of transactional and also computational. And so love the fact that there is obviously, I love the way that you broke that down. So if you could give us like a general basic, you know, kind of overview of what live peer is, you know, kind of what is it? What is it solving? What are the problems that you are trying to solve with this new platform? Yeah, good question. So uh, originally at the origins of the project, um, we had a lot of experience building kind of video enabled um, software and applications from, you know, some of our previous startup and work and working with friends and whatnot. And we, we uh, recognized that video was this huge growing trend with cameras being put on every device and uh, kind of streaming content and video representing 80% of the bandwidth that's in use on the internet today and only growing. And we felt the pain of developing on 
some of like the closed source proprietary centralized solutions in the video space. And we were looking at this, this kind of emergence of the Web3 stack with Ethereum and storage projects like, you know, uh, IPFS and storage and Swarm and whatnot. And we saw identity layer projects. And we saw, well, there was no, there was no solution for um, streaming media, streaming content, audio and video in the Web3 stack. And, and you know, initially... We, we knew that decentralization and peer-to-peer technologies could bring a lot of advantages to video. And uh, initially, we challenged ourselves to, to say, uh, you know, is it possible to create a, a fully decentralized layer for video kind of in this Web3 stack? And that was kind of the origins of exploring live peer. And as we dug in to understand kind of the business model and the economics behind video and why it was so hard for developers to build video enabled applications at scale, we actually uncovered a a huge disruptive opportunity powered by decentralization, which was that um, on the kind of compute side, we could scale video encoding across all the idle resources on these crypto mining networks and deliver uh, kind of scalable video infrastructure at a really high reliability at an unbeatable cost um, by use of these coordinating protocols you could build build on ethereum so and then there's kind of a different story on the content delivery side which we can talk about later but we also saw decentralized benefits there so just zooming way out what is live peer so live peer aims to power video live streaming with kind of unparalleled reliability at an unbeatable cost Um, we do that leveraging uh, kind of decentralized technologies and crypto coordinated protocols and harness all of the kind of idle computing power that's out there to, you know, encode and transmit video. Um, And yeah, I think that's, I think that's kind of the the high level summary. So we'll go under the hood in a second. um, But I want to go a little bit more macro first, and then we're going to go under the hood and exactly how things are getting done. So you mentioned on the site, I believe, live streaming is rapidly increasing in popularity. People tune into live events like political debates and live sports like the World Cup from their laptops and phones. I've seen that. Obviously, I have two kids. I see that firsthand. They join social services like YouNow, Periscope, and Riff to watch streamers entertain and engage with the audience. And they watch esports and services like Twitch for hours and end. More and more people are canceling their cable subscriptions and turning to the internet for the, their entertainment with YouTube viewership to surpass cable TV shortly. So there's a note from UBS, actually, that 20% of Americans plan to cut the cord in the next 12 months from the time the survey was taken, which was about, I'd say, about six or seven months ago. This works out to be about 39 million Americans actively planning to, on cutting the cord. And according to Variety, there were over 196 million paid TV subscribers at the end of 2017. So do you envision a world where soon there's not going to be a cable TV and it's just going to be people buying Spectrum and bandwidth to do things on live peer and other iterations? Uh, yeah, so re- kind of really interesting kind of macro space to, to analyze. I think the, the crux of this is the transition from kind of uh, broadcast and traditional cable-based delivery of content to digital delivery of content, right? So uh, there's kind of these bundling and unbundling cycles that occur. And what the internet and high bandwidth and broadband has enabled is that the content owners are seeing the opportunity to say, hey, we can unbundle from 
you know, the traditional cable companies and we can create our own offerings where we can deliver this content digitally over the internet. And of course, all of our, our users, all of the consumers want to access this content, not, you know, sitting in front of the huge clunky old school television, but maybe on their iPhone, on their iPad, on their, their smart TV, um, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, so of course I envision a world where uh, all the content is going to be delivered over the internet, um, as opposed to over these kind of hardwired, uh, cable lines or, or broadcast as had been done traditionally. Cause when it's delivered over the internet, that just creates so much flexibility in how the content can be consumed across all these, these platforms in the future. But the challenge is internet infrastructure can't keep up with all the demand. Um, the amount of kind of compute that's required to do the processing to encode all these kind of streams of video that are being generated by users on platforms like you know Twitch and YouTube and Facebook is is tremendous, um, and the you know amount of bandwidth that's required to deliver all this content is is tremendous, especially for peak events. Um, and so you know we need some new innovative technology and protocols um, more so than you know what was kind of put into place 30 years ago as the kind of internet infrastructure was rising and being put into place. Right. So I want to get back to that because you, you do talk about the amount of GPUs and the amount of compute out there in terms of what everyone has and how you can potentially use that in a better fashion. Um, and so I definitely want to touch back on that again, but let's discuss a little bit more about LivePeer. So LivePeer is live video infrastructure it is decentralized it is incentivized and so users who run the live peer software can earn money they contribute their computer's processing power and bandwidth in service of the live peer network and they get compensated for doing so you can run the live peer software and participate so there's been an interesting discussion on the show about this that's arguing that you know you have those from distributed system kind of backgrounds that say okay you have containers and stacks like AWS and Google and Facebook that are massive that can just do so much and they're so powerful. And then there are efforts that are trying to use the world's compute power um, and use everyone's kind of bandwidth and try to put it all together and create a new decentralized internet. And so there seems to be those in the camp that say, well, that's going to be a really hard lift. And those that say, well, no, it actually can happen. In your opinion, I have a feeling I know the answer to this, but how hard of a lift do you think it is to actually kind of bandy together all of the world's compute power to actually get this done at such a level and such a scale that we're all used to it, you know, where a user today would not even know that they're using a decentralized video service? Yep. Good question. So let's, uh, you know, Let's have no doubts about it. It's definitely a hard lift, right? There's a lot of work that goes into building kind of a new cutting edge um, solution like LivePeer. It's not it's not as easy as just spinning up a centralized server that your company will operate that can you know encode and distribute video. But I think there's a incredible kind of opportunity to harness some of this idle um, computing power out there. Um, in a way that's really cost disruptive. And really the argument comes down to the fact that idle um, compute that is kind of available and sitting there that's that's in an already paid off business model is always going to be available more cheaply 
than pre-provisioned dedicated compute that needs to be sitting there waiting to do a specific task. And this comes down to a um, kind of really nice opportunity we've identified uh, to take advantage of this idle compute in live peer. And this is uh, enabled by kind of the some of the world's most powerful supercomputing clusters, which are cryptocurrency mining operations. Um, David, I know you said you might want to uh, get back to this later, but do you mind if I give a quick overview right now of how we can capture some idle capacity in there? Let's do it. Excellent. So this is really cool. And this is kind of the crux of how live, live period network can be bootstrapped and be really cost effective. So uh, there's tens of millions of GPUs out there that are mining cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Zcash, and Grin. And there's there's chips on those GPUs that are great at hashing cryptos. And they're, they're being used 100% of the time um, to, to mine crypto. And if, you know, on each of those GPU cards, the miner can make about $1.50 per day hashing crypto. That's great. They're, they're profitable. They, they can pay off those cards. They have a working business model. Well, it just so happens that on those cards, there's video encoding and decoding chips that are completely idle. They can't hash crypto. All they can do is encode and decode video. And so, you know, there's millions of these sitting out there that are, that are doing nothing. And what LivePeer enables them to do is to use that excess, those, those video encoding chips to create this powerful video infrastructure without being disruptive to their cryptocurrency mining. So they have this hardware, it's deployed, they already have a working profitable business model. And for you know almost no opportunity cost, they can get additional revenue by encoding video for a price that is hugely disruptive to what you know many video infrastructure cloud providers like Amazon and Google and uh, some of the kind of proprietary providers are charging. Um, just to give you a sense of the cost disruption, um, it's not there's not an apples to apples comparison, but if you want to use one of those services in the cloud to do your video encoding, you have to pay you know three dollars per stream per hour. Um, or you know, seventy-two dollars per day, essentially, to to encode one stream of video around the clock. The cost for these cryptocurrency miners to encode that one stream of video is something on the order of thirty-six cents per day um, in uh, kind of electricity and bandwidth. And so, you know, their cost to do it is thirty-six cents. The competition is charging seventy-two dollars. Uh, if there existed a protocol that could allow all this excess capacity to come onto the network, to compete, to do that work, to prove that the work was done correctly um, and to do it reliably and performantly, uh, that would be hugely cost disruptive. And that's what LivePeer is. That's what the LivePeer protocol enables. And the, there's you know tens of millions of these cards out there to be the supply side of the LivePeer network. And so this can create kind of huge disruption to the models of building video applications at scale with many streams of video. And, you know, we think can create some amazing uh, new, you know, applications that weren't possible in working business models before. So let's let's go a little bit more, you know, kind of rudimentary and let's make it a little bit more real for people. So let's say I am recording my son's soccer game and normally I would have wanted to put it on YouTube and I want to put it on live peer. Um, let's just say that there's, you know, a, uh, a market for, you know, 
sub 10 year old kids playing soccer on YouTube and they want to watch, you know, kids scoring some goals, um, maybe future U.S. soccer players because they need a few good players on the team so they can actually make it to the World Cup next time. Anyway, um, and so let's say I, I've recorded this. It is on my, you know, either my, you know, my phone or on my iPad and I want to upload it to live here. Walk us through the steps so we kind of have an understanding of how it works. Yep. Good question. First thing I want to do is just clarify. So live peer is not an application. It's not a, a competitor to YouTube or, or Twitch. It's actually infrastructure that the YouTube or a Twitch could use, um, or anyone building a site like a YouTube or a Twitch could use. So let's say, let's say we're in the, the DAP world and someone creates decentralized YouTube, right? So you would be uploading your son's soccer game to that great application that has all the features that that you need, like commenting and you know content management and, and whatnot for your video. But so you're using that application under the hood. What they are doing is they are using live the live peer network in order to uh, transcode that video. And what that means is you upload this great HD version of the video. But you want people to be able to watch it on their cell phones, on smart TVs, on different, you know, on Windows, on Mac OS and different operating systems. You want anyone to be able to watch it. So what they have to do is they have to process that video. They have to transcode it is the, the technical term. And that's what the live peer network does. So that application would you know, run a live peer node. That node would announce to, to the network, hey, uh, David just uploaded a soccer video. Is anyone available to transcode it? all the people who are running hardware on the network may see that and they may ping back to that node and say, I'll do it for one cent an hour. I'll do it for two cents an hour. And your node will identify a nearby fast responding, you know, infrastructure provider to work with. It'll start sending them segments of the video. They'll start encoding it and sending them back. There's a whole protocol that proves that they did the work correctly. Um, and then, uh, you know, this this great decentralized YouTube application that was using LivePeer would, you know, receive these encoded videos back and they kind of have their choice of workflow of how they host it, save it, serve it to the serve it to the users who want to watch it. Um, that's kind of a separate story. But you know, under the hood, LivePeer has this this whole media server piece of software that speaks video. It knows how to ingest all these videos, how to encode them, how to serve them. Um, and, and kind of do all the, the complex video-related infrastructure tasks that someone would require to build a great site like a YouTube. Right. So let's go a little bit more under the hood and less 101 and a little bit more deeper into that. So I think you're using some form of proof of stake, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it's a different consensus algorithm, either you know it looks like it's a delegated proof of stake or potentially a bonded proof of stake. You know, it seems that token holders delegate their stake to elect transcoder nodes that perform that actual work that you're talking about. So can you walk us through kind of the, the spider web that is involved when you obviously we use that example? You know, you, you mentioned, you know, nodes and you mentioned the transcoders. It sounds like there's a little bit of a, a proof of stake model there that would like to kind of further elaborate on. Yep, that's right. Um, so as far as consensus, uh, LivePeer runs on the Ethereum blockchain, so you know Ethereum itself provides the consensus and the security for you know the individual transactions, like sending tokens around and, and whatnot. Um, but LivePeer itself has a you know delegated proof of stake inspired model for determining 
you know, who does work on, on the live peer network and who's providing enough security to allow you to trust that work to be done. And the way it works is anyone who wants to perform you know, transcoding on the network, anyone who has hardware available to do this transcoding, what they'll do is they'll get live peer token and they will stake it in the live peer protocol or essentially, you know, lock it up in a security deposit. And that security deposit entitles them, you know, to have the ability and the opportunity to compete for, you know, encoding your video. And the reason is because after they um, encode your video and they kind of cryptographically sign it to, to, to indicate that they you know, stand behind this work, if you can detect that they cheated or they misencoded it or they, you know, inserted malicious content into your stream you can kind of post cryptographic proof of that to the blockchain, which can determine whether they did or did not cheat. And if they did cheat, they would lose that stake that they had kind of staked and locked up um, in the live peer protocol. And so the idea is that you you as an application would only work with nodes who have enough stake to kind of secure your, your use case. So if you're just streaming your son's soccer game to a few family members, maybe you don't, maybe you don't require, you know, millions of dollars worth of stake um, at risk. If they are going to screw you over, you might work with someone with less stake who is offering a cheaper price, for example. But if you're like a really high production value um, event, and it would be really, you know, terrible if they misencoded your content, um, you know, perhaps your, your software would be configured to only work with nodes with higher stake. And so, um, you mentioned delegation. So if you're a token holder and you don't want to run infrastructure, you can actually just stake towards one of these transcoder nodes and they'll do the work on your behalf. And, you know, in exchange, they'll share back some of the rewards that they earn and the fees that they earn with you. And, you know, what you did as a token holder was you provided more security. You gave them the opportunity to win more work on the network. You've, you've essentially like QA'd or quality assured the network to route work towards nodes that, that, will be you know trusted and perform the work well um and in exchange again you're kind of earning a proportional you know a piece of the the rewards and fees that they're they're earning minus the you know commissions that they're keeping for themselves um so that's the kind of staking mechanism mm-hmm. there's kind of two uh, last point here there's kind of two different you know revenue streams if you will for for people who stake and, and do work on the network the first is the fees that are paid. So if you're an application, you want to use this network, you pay to use it in ETH, Ethereum, um, eventually, hopefully a stable coin, so dollars essentially. And that's just like a straight fee. You pay them in order to do the transcoding and the blockchain settles it and they earn that money. The kind of second uh, kind of revenue stream is that when you stake, each day there's new live peer token that are generated. And it only goes to those who are staked and doing work on the network. Um, it doesn't go to those who are just holding the token and not um, staking or doing work. And what this does is it, it essentially kind of reallocates ownership in the network towards those who are participating, staking, and, and doing the work. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it kind of the amount of stake you have kind of is roughly proportional to the amount of work that you have the opportunity to do. Right. Um, and so it's yeah, it's kind of helping to allocate and divvy up work um, in the future as well. So is that effectively like a shard? 
Is that a, a kind of a back end or is that effectively a form of like sharding? I also don't want to talk. It sounds like we're getting into governance. Is that basically the is the is the governance or is there a governance procedure that's on chain or is it kind of off chain? Um, good question. So I think your sharding analogy is like, can we spread work out across many nodes on the network? And uh, yeah, so in the sense of you know, you hear about sharding in in blockchains like ETH 2.0 or Near Protocol. And and no, this is not actually the same thing because we're not talking about consensus. But you know, I think it is an appropriate analogy in the form of distributed compute, where it's like there's going to be all this transcoding work. It's not performed. You know, every node on the network is not doing all of the work for every task that comes in. Instead, that work is being split up, split up across all the nodes in the network. So it is. It's more of like a work allocation protocol. Um, and again, you know, I do call live peer and, and these compute protocols as like distributed resource allocation protocols. And that's what, you know, we're focused on video transcoding, but it also would be applicable for other forms of, of compute uh, as well in the future. Um, to your second question about governance. So the entire community of token holders does participate in this sort of work routing quality assurance governance protocol. So you know, which nodes are we going to stake towards? Which nodes are going to be active on the network? What rough proportion of work do they get to do? That's all community determined by token holders and the economics in the network and the incentives in the network. Um, so that's like not necessarily like protocol governance per se, but more like protocol QA and quality assurance. Um, as far as governance over things like protocol updates and, and parameter changes, um, LivePeer is still very much in alpha. There's a, a plan and a roadmap for um, kind of decentralized mechanisms to invoke protocol updates and parameter updates um, coming in, in the future. There's active discussions going on in the forum amongst the community about you know, how best to, to do that for certain types of decisions. Um, and I think you know, LivePeer is inspired by a lot of what's going on in projects like Decred and Cosmos and some of the kind of the on-chain voting in Tezos that we've seen lately. Um, and I think you you hopefully see similar mechanisms um, to kind of take the best practices from you know governance mechanisms that are working across the ecosystem. Right. Now I know that it's kind of under the hood, and you need to have a DAP. That's you know basically the decentralized YouTube or Periscope. Um, but you know, in this world where we're starting to see more censorship, where we're starting to see you know, some malicious content on there. We're trying to see some efforts to try to eliminate some of that malicious content. We saw obviously YouTube having some problems recently um, with content getting to kids. What do you think about that? Is there anything that you guys can do as you kind of are the engine behind this? Is there anything or would you, do you agree, do you agree or disagree that you, there should be any level of censorship resistance here? Right. Good question. Um, so at the, I guess, before I dive into that, one important point to make is that, yes, a decentralized YouTube or Twitch or Periscope um, could be really, really powerful. I hope they exist. I think they're going to do amazing things and you know put economics in the hands of users and create great experiences. Um, but you know, as LivePeer is just infrastructure for for kind of video encoding, and it, it's kind of could be treated as a black box for that. LivePeer solution is just as applicable to kind of your standard centralized applications that can benefit from cost reduction and increased reliability as it is to kind of new 
decentralized applications and, and a futuristic world. And so, again, as infrastructure, um, LiPeer is basically just kind of processing bits of information just the same way that your, your uh, internet router is just passing bits of information through whether those, whether those bits of information you know, are sensitive or you know, subject to potential censorship or, or whatnot. Um, as infrastructure, LiPeer really can't make much of a distinction, doesn't have the opportunity to make much of a distinction, but at the application layer, where the applications that people build and they try to create audiences around and they um, make their own decisions about things like moderation and censorship is really the layer where um, kind of content curation needs to be addressed. Um, and in the centralized world, I think you, you know, you see that through, you know, to various levels of success um, through these kind of responsibilities that the the companies and applications have to take on around their terms of service and the laws and the places that they operate. And I think in the decentralized world, this is going to be a huge challenge and open issue. And I think really what needs to exist are, you know, base protocols for content curation and moderation that provide the right incentives, capture the right, you know, costs um, in order to ensure that, you know, a certain level of like moderation can be applied if the application, you know, has that that mission in their kind of charter objective to apply content moderation and curation around right. around the content. Um, and that's a hard that's a hard problem to yeah. get the incentives to make sure every piece of content is like reviewed, flagged, moderated, and reviewed because there's a high cost to doing that. And in these decentralized applications, how do you capture that cost and how do you, you know, spread that cost amongst the network or the users and are users willing to pay that directly? Um, so I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a challenge. And I, I think, uh, you know, someone who creates the right base layer protocol for that with the right incentives stands to provide a, a tool that many applications can really benefit from. I, I know it's a tough, tough, you know, it's a tough subject, but I thought, you know, that was, you know, I agree with you that it is the application. It is kind of the base layer that, you know, has a responsibility. And uh, I, I agree with you. It's just, you know, as uh, as we're moving and we're providing more decentralization, we're providing, you know, this kind of the lack of censorship, um, you know, it. Obviously, we're in a world with over 7 billion people, and unfortunately, not everyone is acting in good faith and wants to do good things. So really interesting and, you know, something that, you know, we'll definitely want to keep tabs on going into the future. So moving towards the top of the hour on the show, you know, one of the things that we like to do is getting to know our guests a little bit more on a personal level. And there are two things, you know, I don't need to know if you're a Mets or Yankees fan or whatever, you know, else if there is anything. Okay, then that's why I like you. Um, go Mets. There you go. Although it's been a really rough year. Um, and so would love to get a sense of anything that you've read recently, whether it's crypto-related, non-crypto-related, that really kind of sunk in with you and you learned something from it and you really – maybe you've told other friends about it and you're like, wow, this is you know, such, you know, something really special. And also music. I find that music is something that tells a lot about a person's personality, whether you're a Jeremy – 
you know, Elche Casa who likes, you know, metal, or if you're like, you know, other people who like, you know, electronic dance music, or if you're from Poland and you like your Polish music, you know, we've had a few people out there that, you know, it's kind of a global thing. So would love to kind of get a sense of the music you listen to. So reading, what have you read recently that really you loved and you resonated with you and music? Excellent. Um, so I have a uh, one-year-old daughter. And so between the startup and my daughter, the opportunities to sit peacefully and read a book have come few, few and far between. But uh, on my commute, I've, I've taken to listening to audiobooks. And so the, the one I just finished this week, uh, was, which was really interesting, was called A Little History of Philosophy by, I think, Nigel Warburton. And it was basically a you know, 30 chapter survey of the history of philosophy, going philosopher by philosopher, dating back to, to Socrates, um, and uh, uh, kind of running you through people's attempts to understand and reason about the world and why we're here and what's the meaning of, of life and existence and uh, all of these hard and interesting questions. And it was, a, it was like a really awesome opportunity to take a, a step back pick your head up out of kind of the crypto rabbit hole or the video world and uh, think about, you know, these deeper questions around things like happiness and, and meaning and success and, uh, and everything. So, and it was a, a quick listen. It was, you know, maybe seven or eight hours. So, you know, a week or two worth of kind of commuting. Um, so that is definitely something I would, I would recommend. And I thought was a nice, nice break. And on the music side, my favorite band far and away uh, is Tool, and it's super exciting. They're releasing a new album on August 30th, supposedly for the first time in something like 13 years. Uh, there's a ton of memes about how long this album is taking on the internet. Uh, can't, can't wait for it. Um, so I have to figure out the, the right way to actually listen to it, because they don't even release their music digitally in the past. So I might have to, like, you know, sit in the car so I can pop a CD into a CD player. Um, but I'll figure that out as it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen a CD player in any new car for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, that, an old car. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, this was Doug, uh, mechanics from live peer. Um, I really, as I said, we've had over 50 shows now. I would honestly say that over 70, 75% of the people that have been on the show, whether they're other founders or other investors in the space have brought up live peer. Um, and so I would definitely check it out. Um, it's something that is really, uh, I think a lot of people think about and a lot of people talk about as a model for how really there's utilization of blockchains and crypto. Uh, because we've had that utilization, we've had that use kind of cases where people say that it's not being used, but this is a model, this is a project that is actually people you know, got very excited about, and I think this is something uh, definitely worth taking care of, uh, taking a look at. So, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure getting to uh, learn more about live peer and getting to know about you. Go Mets, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on in a few months to catch up and see how things are progressing. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, David. Good talking to you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. 
Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.